And so after that final game, I knew that I was able to walk away on my own terms. And it wasn't because I was washed up or I couldn't do it anymore. I was walking away because it was my decision. And there's a lot of, lot of power in that. And, um, you know, a week after that final game was when I really experienced the finality of what that mm -hmm. meant. And I felt the, the void in my heart from breaking off my engagement, letting go of this, this dream you know, my, my parents were unsupportive, like the only few of my teammates even could comprehend why I would do something like this and let go of all this money, all this fame, like this childhood dream. And I don't really know why at the time, like, obviously, I've been on this deep healing journey. But looking back on it now, it's just this calling in my heart that this is time. Uh, and you need to go discover the deeper, deeper truths of who you are and, and this reality. And there's just these because I I'd made a bunch of money, I'd, I'd been living my dream. I'd basically had everything like you talked about at the beginning of the show of what society tells you will give you happiness. And there was still something missing in my life. And I wanted, had this deep desire to know what that was. to another episode of the Ancient Futurist Podcast. Today, I'm sitting down with Joe Hawley, who is a former NFL star who played for the Falcons and the Buccaneers in the NFL and decided to walk away from the game after eight seasons, leaving him with a void of purpose, identity, and community. This transition propelled him on a journey of deep healing and self-discovery that led him to then travel nomadically in his van across the U.S. for two years in search of an answer to the simple question of who am I? And this quest led him toward a wider way of healing modalities, including yoga, and plant medicine, and he's found his purpose through transformational wilderness expeditions that he hosts through his business, The Heart Collective. And he's also an author, speaker, and host of a popular podcast called Life Beyond the Game. And he also owns a retreat center and a regenerative farm 90 minutes outside of Austin called Haven. So he's got a really interesting story, and we're going to start from the top here. So after playing college football at the University of Nevada in Vegas, Joe, you were drafted into the NFL by the Falcons, which by nearly all standards, and I'm sure yours as well, obviously, is a dream come true and basically the ultimate mama we made it. So before we jump into the story, I just want to say one thing, like your journey, which we're about to discuss is so powerful because it's another testament to the fact that despite how much we often like to convince ourselves that like, man, if I had this or even comparisons, like if I had what he has or she has or whatever, like I'd be full or complete or living my best life forever. And there's such a strange disconnect between desire and fulfillment, right? And like, my point is that within our culture, there's this widespread mind virus that programs us into a scarcity mindset, which causes us to focus on the wrong metrics for finding that true fulfillment, like looking for something external to ourselves rather than that metric being internally focused and self generating that fulfillment, regardless of our circumstances. So obviously, that's so much easier said than done. But I think a lot of us realize at some point that finding that within ourselves is the ultimate goal. And the only way to that true long lasting freedom and correct me if I'm wrong, but that internal dialogue seems to be a large facet of how your journey has and continues to unfold. 
And so I know you probably told this story 10 million times, so we don't need to spend too, too long on it specifically. But for anybody unfamiliar, I would like you to run us through how we get from you being drafted in the NFL to you initially making the decision to retire from the league after eight seasons, buy a van, adopt your dog and explore nomadic living. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me first off, man. And well said on uh, kind of the societal program that we're all born into and, and, and breaking out of it and breaking and shifting this paradigm is really the, the work that we're all being called to do. And it's, it's deep, man. I'm, I'm continuing to access deeper mm. and deeper layers of, of freedom and discovery and where I'm trapped and where I'm holding on. And, you know, that journey continues. Um, yeah, man, it was really cool to hear all of that reflected back to me too. You know, I'm just now getting to a place where I'm integrating, uh, that past part of myself, you know, I've retired in 2017 was my last year. So it's been five years and it's been one hell of a journey to integrate that. I've had a lot of shame and, and, um, yeah, just a lot of different woundings around, you know, that, that part of myself. And so, um, it has been a journey. And so to answer your question, you know, getting drafted was, that was it, man. That was, that's the dream. That's like every kid that ever played football is like, I want to, I want to get drafted. I want to hear my name called on draft day. And it was really beautiful. It was a beautiful experience. I had a really good draft process coming out of a small school like UNLV. We never had a winning season as I was there. Um, so the odds of me getting drafted were pretty, pretty slim. Had a really good draft process. Ended up getting drafted in the fourth round, uh, which was a dream come true. But on, on reflection, you know, on my life, that was really where the journey uh, started. And getting drafted to the Falcons, you know, I was a 21 year old kid. I went in there, uh, got drafted to replace a long tenured center. He was like 13, I think it was his 12th year at the time. And it was a really old like team that had been together for a long time. So coming in as this kid, it was really one of the most challenging experiences, like being one of the best players on every team I ever played on. Um, and then going in and playing with the best in the world, there was a lot of you know, imposter syndrome, like, do I belong here? What am I doing here? And it was that first year was really, really challenging. And for me as a player, the reason I went to UNLV is because I loved playing the game. Like I, I went there because I wanted to play right away. I hated sitting on the bench because when I sat on the bench, I felt like I wasn't a contributor, even if the team was successful. And so that rookie year, I was actually on the sideline as a backup and we went 13 and three, number one seed in the playoffs. But I, I, there was a part of me that didn't feel like I was actually a part of the team and ended up getting my first opportunity to start uh, my second year, I was out of position at guard. And, you know, there's a there's a lot here, I, I ended up going through um, so like a really up and down career. And I, I want to kind of condense it because I feel like we can talk about a lot. And I don't want to go through this linear story. I'm actually writing a book right now on this journey of what it took to make it in that hyper competitive environment. And the journey of, you know, I lost my starting job five different times throughout my career and what it took to earn that job back. And eventually getting to the point where my you know, I went into my final my final year, my eighth year, and uh, you know, I lost my starting job to a younger guy for the fifth time. And there was something that happened when I was on the sidelines. I was in my street clothes. They had signed me back to like a two and a half million dollar deal. And they told me I was going to be competing for my starting job with this younger guy. But what I realized after they gave him the job is they just brought me back to mentor him because he was a younger guy and they wanted a veteran there. And so we, we called this, this is known as, as living the dream, as being a veteran that's a backup that's brought back to be, be a mentor. So I was actually not an active player. I was in my street clothes on the sideline. And every single time in my career where I would lose a starting job, you know, one time I got replaced by a top draft pick in the, in the, in the college draft and 
got replaced by him, had to earn my job back. Four games into earning my job back, I blew my knee out and then had to recover from that, got my starting job back. And then this happened, lost it to a younger guy. They brought me back to mentor. But every single time that happened, it was this, there was this passion, this fire that I, was, I just needed to prove myself. I loved this game so much. I loved the pure competition on Sundays that I just would do anything to get back out there. And this final year, I was standing on the sideline and I was getting the, the team pumped up as the offense was about to take the field. And the offense took the field and I stayed behind and I was just watching. And it was just the most strange experience because the first time in my entire career, I, like, I was actually content without having to play. In fact, I was, I was happy. I was joyous. I was like, wow, I get to get paid. I get to have best seats in the house and I get to support these guys, but I no longer have to put my body on the line and, you know, just really compete at that level, which is, there's so many layers of how challenging it is. And in that moment, I knew this is going to be my final year playing. And I'm really grateful for that because it allowed this opportunity to be extremely present through my final year. You know, a lot of athletes, you know, face the challenge of their careers usually taken away from them before they're ready. Very few give the sport everything they have and decide on their own terms to walk away. And so I, that final year was really beautiful. I was, ended up being very present, even with the challenging parts. This, you know, when I'd have an attitude of like, oh, I don't want to be here, I don't want to do this. Like, it, there was none of that because I was like, this is it. There's the finality to this. And, you know, it was really cool because as I was on the sideline, I wanted to make sure that I was ready for an opportunity. If I, I didn't want to let my team down. I knew I was retiring. I didn't really tell anybody on the team or anything. A few of my teammates knew. But I tried to stay in, in game shape in case my number was called. And that's really hard to do in the NFL because practices get considerably easier as the season goes on because there's not a lot of bodies. So a lot of the starters are, are resting up. And so it just becomes more like a walkthrough. And so to stay in game shape was just really challenging. And I think it was like five weeks left before the end of my career, end of the season, two offensive linemen go on IR in the same game. And so I go into the next game. And during this time, I was, I was deconstructing, like looking at like all of my life, not just my football career, but I started questioning, you know, who am I? Like, what am I here to do? And I, I ended up telling my fiance at the time that I was, this is going to be my last year playing football. And she was actually unsupportive of that. And that's when I realized, oh, this is not just a decision that affects me and me walking away and stripping away this identity. Every single person in my life that I've ever met knows that Joe Hawley is an NFL player. And they put me on some type of pedestal within their own projection of who I am. And so dealing that with my with my fiance, I, you know, the true colors kind of were shown and I ended up realizing maybe this isn't for the best. And I had to end up spending the entire year in my personal life deconstructing that relationship. And during that time, I was so five games left in the season, two guys go down, I go into uh, the following week, knowing I'm going to start against Green Bay in Lambeau Field. At the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm basically going through this really challenging breakup and, and really, really letting go of that relationship. So I was really stressed. And this is the first time I've ever had an experience of a psychosomatic emotional uh, connection to my physical body, because I showed up on Saturday before we traveled to Green Bay. And I just became deathly ill and I was sick and I was throwing up and I was like shit in water. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? And I thought it was just like a stomach bug. And it had ended up having like, okay, we're going to, we're going to travel with you and we're just going to pump you full of fluids and we're going to make sure you try and get you to play on Sunday. And it wasn't until like two hours before the game, I'm just like wrenched over in front of my locker. I'm like, coach, I can't play. And so they finally like, okay. And they end up going with the next guy who was like a practice squad guy. Cause two guys had already mm -hmm. been hurt. And it was fascinating because as soon as the game started, I was on the sideline, I, I felt better. Like I didn't feel like 100%, but that pain and that visceral like sickness 
subsided almost instantly. And I was like, that's so strange. Like how much of this is connected to the stress of, am I good enough to play with these guys still? Mm. Like there's this performance anxiety and there's a stress I was experiencing at home. And so what I started to, to, to ponder was like, maybe this is like ulcers. Like I've heard about ulcers and how they can be formed from stress. And so I went uh, to the doctor on Monday and I was like, hey, I want to get a picture taken of my stomach. I think it's ulcers. And this brings into the, 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 the conflict of interest between the medical staff in the locker room and the players. And we don't need to get too deep into that, but pretty much they're like, no, it's not, you know, it's not ulcers. Like you're fine. It's just a sickness. And I, I had to basically put my foot on the ground and say, I want to get pictures taken and like I'm doing this for me. And so I ended up going to the doctor. They put a scope down my throat. Sure enough, there's two big ulcers burning on the side of my stomach, gave me the proper medication. I was able to heal that. And then what's really beautiful about this experience is I was able to start those last four games in my career. And there was a lot of fear of like, can I still play? Can I still perform? Do I belong here with the best in the world? And it was almost as if the universe gave me this opportunity to go go play the game that I loved. And I played four of the best games of my entire career. And so after that final game, I knew that I was able to walk away on my own terms. And it wasn't because I was washed up or I couldn't do it anymore. I was walking away because it was my decision. And there's a lot of, lot of power in that. And, um, you know, a week after that final game was when I really experienced the finality of what that meant. And I felt the, the void in my heart from breaking off my engagement letting go of this, this dream, you know, my, my parents were unsupportive. Like the only few of my teammates even could comprehend why I would do something like this and let go of all this money, all this fame, like this childhood dream. And I don't really know why at the time, like, obviously I've been on this deep healing journey, but looking back on it now, it's just this calling in my heart that this is time. Uh, and you need to go discover the deeper, deeper truths of who you are and, and this reality. And there's just these, cause I, I'd made a bunch of money. I'd, I'd been living my dream. I'd, basically had everything like you talked about at the beginning of the show, of what society tells you will give you happiness. And there was still something missing in my life. And I wanted, had this deep desire to know what that was. And so I stripped it all away. I ended up buying a van. I gave away all my possessions to charity and just really like literally let go of an entire way of being and just hit off on this, on this quest, this pilgrimage to, to find myself. And uh, that was two years of synchronicity after synchronicity. And that's where it's led me into this beautiful journey of, of self-discovery and and it's taught me so much about who I am and that journey is continuing. We can dive into that, but Ooh, what a journey. Man, yeah, that is definitely a journey. And so another facet before I start reflecting on some of the stuff that you just said, another facet that uh, I know that you were also dealing with at the time was injuries and chronic pain, obviously resulting from playing football and you played, you played mainly O-line almost exclusively, right? Yeah, I started 54 games uh, at offensive line, mostly center, and then yeah. I, I played in almost 100. I think like 90 games. Wow. Yeah, and so, so and so, yeah, you know, obviously, you know, you were like I said, you were apparently dealing with some chronic pain and injuries, and and that caused you to take some steps to get more in tune with your body. And I'm curious how you like what kind of steps you took and what and what decisions you made to start kind of attuning to that and trying to heal that because I know you told me you were dealing with inflammation all the time and stuff like that so I'm definitely curious to hear what you did there yeah man I mean it's fascinating to think back on what I was fueling my body as one of the you know best athletes in the world you know and, and what I should have been eating and what I was actually eating like what I know now like it, it makes me want to throw up what I was actually putting in my body and and, and fueling my body and it's fascinating how uh 
our culture, like even the the greatest athletes in our culture and society still don't understand like the way to properly fuel the body and, and what inflammation actually is. And, you know, we take a bunch of anti-inflammatories. I take pain pills. I was using cannabis and alcohol to like make myself feel better. All these things that were totally normal, but looking back on obviously an issue. And it wasn't until my, my seventh year, actually going into my seventh year, um, you know, it's like halfway through my career is when I started really getting more curious. I started reading more books and started expanding spiritually a little bit. And I, I was introduced to meditation. You know, I, I grew up in a, a Christian faith, very dogmatic, close-minded. And I was told that like, you know, Eastern mysticism and meditation is how the devil makes its way into your mind. So there's like this real resistance to meditation from a spiritual perspective. But it was really beautiful that we had these, uh, these like mindset coaches come in and they talked about it from a very practical uh, performance based, like can, if we told you, you could reduce stress, improve your focus, improve your performance, like, why wouldn't you do it? And they had this little app. And so I started doing it from this like non spiritual lens, which helped me really understand the mind and how crazy the thought loops are that I was mm -hmm. living in. And so that just set in the foundation for that. And then I started reading a little bit more books. And I was connecting with, uh, you know, some different people. And I, there was a friend of mine that was really kind of on this path that we're on and you know naturally when you're not on it you like look at these people and it's like whoa they're like a little bit out there and he was a lot more health conscious and like fueling his body and he was telling me about you know this paleo diet and how he's just limiting processed foods like something super simple like eat just natural like if you can kill it or grow it like that's what you should eat and that was a very novel concept to me back then but I was like you know what let me let me give this a try and so I, I went paleo and just basically like re removed processed foods from my diet and it was it like made me feel really good. But the challenge of it was as an offensive lineman to keep that weight on. So I went into my seventh year and I had lost like probably 10 or 15 pounds, which doesn't like as an offensive line, that's 300 pounds. Like I, I went from like 300, 295 to like 285, 280. And that 10 to 15 pounds really made a difference in my ability to, to you know, to, to strain and to, to hold up against these big ass defensive linemen. Mm -hmm. And so when they signed me back to my eighth year, they said, Joe, you know, you're playing a little light. We need you to gain at least 10 to 15 pounds if you're going to come back. And so I was like, okay, I can't gain weight. Literally couldn't gain that weight if I was eating like natural food. So I started eating a little bit more shitty and like kind of went back to my old diet. And that was when I had a really visceral experience of how, you know, you don't really know what feeling good feels like until you do it. And then I couldn't really recognize how bad shit made me feel until I reintroduced mm. it. I was feeling lethargic and the inflammation and the pain. And I was like, holy cow. And that was, you know, one of the many variables that led to the decision of walking away is like, I'm tired of having to keep all this weight on. I'm tired of having to eat like shit. And I just don't, I just don't feel good. And my body was starting to break down. You know, I experienced uh, quite a bit of injuries, like torn labrums in both my shoulders, bulging discs between C6, C7. I had total knee reconstruction with my ACL, MCL on my right knee. I had bone spurs in my ankles, like my hip flexor I tore one year. And so just all of that just started compounding, you know, and one of the questions I asked myself was, you know, how much is, how much am I going to do this? And I started contemplating uh, and confronting the, the question of how much of my health am I going to sacrifice for more wealth? And I had made enough money to feel financially free. And so that gave me this, this, it, it became not about, okay, am I going to be making more money? It was like, how much of my life and longevity am I going to sacrifice for more money when I already have enough to be happy? And so all these things kind of started swirling around and, you know, halfway through my career, a lot of the the lawsuit around the CTE and the TBI and the brain trauma that NFL players experienced. I think there was like a study they did of like a few hundred former players brains and 97% of them showed signs of CTE wow. and, and TBI. 
So it wasn't a matter of if I have brain trauma, it's just how bad it is. And that created this really deep underlying fear of, you know, if I break my arm, like I put it in a cast and heal it. If I pull a muscle, like I can rest it. But when you're talking about the brain, like the, the lens in which your consciousness inputs and, 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 and sees reality, it affects your mood, it affects everything. What is that experience like? Like people that experience dimensions, they start going crazy. The only way they start really knowing that is because their friends and the people close to them reflect like, hey, are you okay? And so it's hard to even like comprehend what, what, okay, what is it going to feel like to, to, if I potentially start going crazy? And that was one of the things that I really started being more proactive. And it was about my brain health. It wasn't necessarily the, the pain and the inflammation of the body. It was like, okay, how, how can I be proactive with my brain health? I know I've already experienced plenty of concussions and trauma to my brain. Um, I don't want to wait until I go crazy. So what can I do to, to be proactive with that? And I started learning about, you know, foods that are good for the brain. There's a really good book called Genius Foods that specifically talk about foods that are good for the brain, like avocados, blueberries, almonds. So I started doing that and limiting high inflam inflammatory foods because inflammation is the worst thing for the brain. And then starting to realize, okay, learning about neuroplasticity and neurogenesis and, you know, the story that we were told when we were younger that, you know, only have a certain amount of brain cells. And if you lose them, you're fucked. And like, that was not true at all. Like there's plenty of studies where brains can like literally create and grow through new neural connections and new neural pathways. And how do you do that? Well, you know, learning helps expand and create new neural pathways, novel experiences and travel that helps because you're constantly going into new environments and your brain has to like create new neural connections to, to through that experience. And then that led me into to psychedelics. And I, I started understanding and looking at these, these studies of of psilocybin and mushrooms. And I just was blown away that, you know, okay, if I'm looking at neuroplasticity and neurogenesis, like these studies are showing just brains just lit up. And so that's what got me open to going down that path. And, you know, like I said, with my with my upbringing with uh, Christianity and, and the, psych the story around psychedelics is like, they're really scary. They open you up to like demonic forces. And I've had some stories of like all this fear. And so it took me until I think it was the end of my seventh my seventh year in that off season before my final year. And it's fascinating if you're starting to realize the timelines of all the things that kind of led to me walking away. I had my first, uh, first mushroom experience. Um, and then I shortly thereafter did LSD at a festival for the first time and two really profound experiences. And it wasn't, wasn't scary at all. It was, it was, it was beautiful and it connected me with a, a deep presence. It was maybe the first time that and MDMA first time I did MDA it was like, Wow, this is this is what love is. This is what presence is, and the 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 monkey mind would just subside into pure presence and awareness, and that's what really led me on this path of like, how do I access that presence and still still the stillness of my mind, um, and that's kind of what led me on this path of all that leading to getting in the van and traveling. Right, and so you were in the van full time for how long? So I hit the road in March of 2018. I had my first van. I lived for for about eight months. And that was a different experience because the van was a, a sportsmobile. It was like a cargo van. It wasn't as comfortable. So I would say that was more of like a road trip. I stayed in a lot of hotels. I'd stay at friends' houses. I would go camping in like national parks. Uh, and I did that for about eight months. And then I, I came back to Tampa during the wintertime. And I was like, okay, and this is actually feeding into the the story of how I found Fit for Service. Mm. Um, I was actually traveling back, and um, it was getting cold. I had just gotten back from Peru and went to Machu Picchu, and 
you know, there's pros and cons of being on the road, but I was a little bit exhausted. Like it, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't just, li- it wasn't a lifestyle change. It was just more of a road trip. So I was constantly experiencing meeting new people. And so I was like, oh man, I need to, I need to break. And so I remember like asking God, like, it was just, what now? Like, and I, I had a, I had a, a blog that I was doing. I was doing YouTube videos. I was sharing the journey on Instagram. And so I was thinking like, do I want to focus on doing that? And the answer was no. Like, I don't want to be just a, like a van life influencer and I don't want to travel the rest of my life in this way. Like I know I'm meant for something more. I know I'm meant for, for, for greater impact. And I was like, what, what next? Like, what am I supposed to do? And I was like, well, I'm just going to head back to Tampa and I'm going to, I'm going to throw this podcast on. And I had just been introduced to Aubrey Marcus, uh, like a month before my brother-in-law was like, you got to read this book. Like this guy's really knows what he's talking about. It was own the day Own your life read through his book, really loved what he was about. Uh, you know, this really successful entrepreneur that's talking about these spiritual concepts that like just rang so true for me. Like it resonated. I'm like, Oh man, he's like, it's like, that feels like such deep truth. And I've never heard anybody talk about it in that way. And so I put on one of his podcasts, like I had a lot, like eight hour drive ahead of me, put on one of his podcasts. And it was the first podcast he talked about fit for mm-hmm. service. And in my heart, it was just like, I'm supposed to do that. I know I'm supposed to do that. And so I ended up uh, going back to Tampa and I, I stayed in Tampa for four months, got a little apartment. And then this is my first experience of actually actively participating in a manifestation of something I, I desired. Uh, I was like, you know, if, if I find a more comfortable van that I can live out of full time and actually do the van life thing, then I'll continue traveling. And so I set this little intention. It was the first time I did like a Joe Dispenza meditation and I like visualized the van and it was a brand new Mercedes-Benz Sprinter van, fully customized. It had a big queen-size bed, a nice little kitchenette, and just all the bells and whistles. And I got invited to go to this uh, tiny house festival to speak about you know, my experience. And I went there, and in the back corner, I walk up, and that was the exact van I had imagined in my, in my yeah. awareness. And I walked in, and the guy's like, yeah, I'm selling it. I was like, it's my van. I'll take it. And then I ended up traveling in that van for like another six months, and that was kind of during the time that I started fit for service and I was able to really connect with people all over the country from fit for service and that I was meeting and it was just epic. Wow. Yeah, dude, I have a, I have a similar story of just kind of like finding fit for service out of nowhere. And it's really wild because I was really familiar with, and as you know, like that community is, there's something so magnetic about it and people are magnetized for so many different reasons. And like you were saying before we started recording, like sometimes people are end up there and they're like, I don't even know what I'm doing here, but I'm here. And then you just kind of find out like really quick and it, like the butterfly effect that it, butterfly effect that it had has on everybody's lives through not even just the program, but more importantly, in my opinion, through the network of people, the, 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 the profile of person who, for whatever reason, their wavelength is magnetized to this community and it's just really joining like mine so i was very familiar with aubrey for a while i've been watching his podcast and everything for years and uh he and i he always felt like a a really kin soul to me because i also at the time was running a big supplement company that i founded a couple years prior to discovering him and i also was like you know sitting with medicine and all these things like we were just totally and about like the same stuff and so i found him really interesting and it's funny because i i tried to get him my music years before actually we met and I he's not an easy guy to get in touch with unless he wants to so like I was you know I, I was trying to to get in music and then Jason Havey his CEO at the time found my music and on an Instagram ad hit me up and was like yo this is dope da 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 and I was like yo I'd love for you to like show Aubrey I have a feeling he would really be into this so it was in like 20 
2016 i don't i don't remember somewhere between 2016 and 2018 and uh and he was like yeah i'll show him tomorrow and tomorrow aubrey got in his car accident that he ended up getting all these kind of surgeries and stuff so i like obviously it was like i never followed Damn. up on that the next day whenever whenever jason was going to show him my my records he, he like got in that crazy car accident and so years passed by like i just never tried again it was like you know something i wanted to try out but um and then all of a sudden i get an instagram message one day one random day from vilana who i didn't even i didn't i wasn't really familiar with her at the time and her and and aubrey basically they they reached out because they were at soltara co-hosting an ayahuasca retreat this was like for me three three and a half years ago now and uh they were co-hosting an ayahuasca retreat there and they were looking for music to play for the ecstatic dance at the end of the retreat in that maloka and the amazing maloka at soltara which you've been to and uh and like the spotify algorithm guys just served them my full album mix it's a the 27 minute mix and they said that was all they needed so they just played my full album for the whole thing or whatever and they just like hit me up with these really nice messages and we're like da 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 like we found you so it was really funny because i had been like trying to get them my music and then in the exact set and setting that my music is made for the algorithm just like bam and then it hit them at the exact moment they need it and they you know obviously everybody there resonated with it enough to for them to feel compelled to reach out to me which was really nice and so we started talking a lot back and forth after that and i didn't know what fit for service was but i had remembered our our mutual friends jason and megan who are also i believe that's how you guys connected was because you were in fit for service and they were hanging around uh i had heard mm -hmm. jason tell me the story about how when he was at spirit quest with don howard years before it was like the first year of fit for service whatever and aubrey and them all showed up there and so he knew them that way and so i was like what is this thing and i started just looking at the community and everything and i was like bruh this seems like a squadron of human beings that are like on my wavelength that I would totally vibe with. And I was like, yes. And I would have never found it. I would have never looked into it had Vailana and Arby not reached out about my music and like told, you know, so all that stuff. So then, you know, I mean, here we are years later, a gazillion synchronicities later after being in that community. I mean, the butterfly effect is, is still unfolding every single day. And, uh, I mean, I have lifelong friends, business partner, just like so many things have unfolded for me in various ways uh, since then. And it's just been really, really crazy to think about. But yeah, it all started with with the Spotify algorithm thing for me, like in the perfect moment, just <laughs> sending that out there into the universe. You know what's crazy about that, dude? I was at that retreat oh, no with Aubrey and Violetta. Oh, no way. Yeah, that was the first one they brought everybody out there. I think it was in 2000. 19 maybe it was like 19 or, or 20 it was, it was like it was like either late in the year or early in the year yeah so you were there because yeah, it was it was like a year after yeah i was actually there dude that's crazy that even that connection is yeah wild. dude it is and that's that's how wow. melissa uh our mutual friend the the coo over there that's how she first found out about me and then she followed me on this is another one of those little butterfly effect things. it's just a fun story she follows me on instagram and then like months later after this i was actually almost a year later because it was for the solstice that december i was going to costa rica to play a different event and i had made this like post that had nothing to do with the event on instagram just talking about like the nature of the mind and like synchronicities as a matter of fact and she saw it and commented on it and was like, da-da-da, just want to let you know, like, you're invited to come drink at Sultara whenever you want. 
And I was like, I actually am going to be in Costa Rica like next week. So, and then she was like, she was like, where are you going to be in the, I'll take you yeah. Up on so it. she was like, well, can I invite myself to your show? And I was like, uh, yeah, let's do it. So long story short, she ends up coming down way to Uvita, like, you know, hours from where she's at up in the Nicoya Peninsula. And she, uh, like just like got introduced to like our whole little group of friends down there. And now we just vibe all the time. Like me and Melissa are close and just like, she's 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 one of the greatest humans dude and like just that little that's like another one of those little things but it's funny you say that you were there at that at that retreat because a year later after my music being discovered through them at that maloka a year later i found myself there with them drinking with everybody in the same maloka that that crazy little synchronicity happened in and it was just like super full circle and wild dude but yeah that yeah, man, it's it's freaking fascinating. Even with uh, like the first year of 2019, the, the one of the, the really special things about that first cohort and that first group is that first summit was in Austin, and we all met each other. And I can feel it like it was yesterday. And that wasn't the best summit. It was before the a lot of deep experiential process. It was like it was it was the like a physical because they split up the, the 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 programming into quarters. It was like physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And so that first one was physical, and it was like we did like a ropes course and then they just had people kind of speak, but it wasn't the the depth of connection. But the cool thing about that first year is every single person you'd ask them like, why are you here? Like what drew you in? And every single person or most of the people, some people are just like, I want to be around Aubrey and like, I want to, you know, be more of like this, it's more focused on human optimization. But there's a lot of us that was like, I don't know. I just knew <laughs> I was supposed to be here. Like I felt it in my heart and like my like closest friends, closest family, are, are, are from that experience and it's been so profound to have that community it's why i'm so passionate about building community because that's where the magic happens and that um what's the other uh, co-founder of soltar dan yeah, dan the dan so dan came in 2019 i remember him speaking about soltar because they had just opened it to that first cohort and it was interesting because when i was on the road i was down in tampa when i was taking that break and i actually um connected with uh with with this girl down there and she we would like i was just down there for a couple months she worked at this yoga studio and we just started vibing and she was like hey my friends just got back from this place doing ayahuasca and they they're, they want to go back and they invited me do you want to go with me and i was like yeah so i actually purchased my first uh trip to soltara before fit for service even started and then dan was there talking about it and i was like oh dang like i'm going there in a few weeks and then i went down there like i got drawn into soltara even like outside of the thing and then to see how it's like interweaving mm. like a like a web of how it's connecting all of us it's just really really cool to be it a part is of. dude it is most definitely like a, a mycelium of timelines that's just like every day it becomes more and more just like undeniable this like just web of synchronicities alan watts's wife jana watts used to talk about that actually she would call it the web and it was it was that was her description of uh robert Dan wilson writes about this in the cosmic trigger and, and describes and writes about like the way that the ways that she used to describe this web but essentially like when people start doing work in consciousness that you find yourself immersed in this just undeniable web of synchronicities which then inevitably pushes people as Robin Aaron Wilson was talks about in the cosmic trigger into what he calls chapel perilous, which is that state of consciousness where you're like left wondering like whether your life is being externally influenced by some kind of like metaphysical force or if you're just fucking going nuts or whatever. And like, and like how that's inevitable. <laughs> I'd love to get your, yeah, so I'd love to get your perspective because this, this came up when you were talking about the algorithm and it, it kind of serving in the perfect time. 
and you know there, you can have all these different ideas of technology and where we're headed with AI and and the algorithms and how they're they're really destructive in a lot of ways. But it's also this this opportunity and this tool for consciousness to create even more opportunity for magic right every day within our phone. And it's really really quite a fascinating when you look at it through that lens. I'd love to get your perspective on kind of the technology and how it's interwoven and the good and the bad and, and how it actually creates opportunity for, for God to create more synchronicities in our yeah, lives. Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, there's a million different ways to look at this because it's like, you know, there's advertisement algorithms and those have pros and cons as well because, because it's like, you know, obviously you're not getting served a bunch of ads for shit that does not pertain to you like you used to in the past or whenever, whenever social media ads weren't as prevalent or whatever, but, you know, you're getting served with things that that according to the thousands of data points that these platforms have on you that they think will contribute value to your life at least or that you'll buy it you know whether or not it's going to contribute value to your life so like uh and then you know with music algorithms i really i i love how the spotify algorithm in particular works don't get me wrong spotify has kind of crushed musicians abilities to make money directly from music um you know because streaming royalties are, are very very low compared to like buying cds or buying albums or even just buying songs on itunes but that said it has opened up such a new world of music discovery and so if if, if your question mainly pertains to things of that nature like creative the the flow of creativity and stuff that's in resonance just being thrown at you where it's not just random anymore as it once was but it's like you're you're feeding this this algorithm god whatever you want to call it all of the data of what you are in resonance with and it they're just getting better and better and better at finding similar things being like oh donnie's gonna like this put it on my phone put it on my computer whatever and i see a ton of value in that um where I don't kind of know where we're heading is as machine learning gets more and more powerful. And as these AI algorithms are are deployed, particularly like, you know, there's a big conversation going on last year about the metaverse. Obviously, that whole thing hasn't come to fruition yet. But we know that it will right once the technology gets to where it actually needs to be and Zuckerberg quits trying to rush it. And so like, when when the ai algorithms can use those same data points and create an avatar let's just say for example like facebook or whatever algorithm knows what type of woman you're attracted to like what what your type is what hair color what this that eye color whatever it's going to create an avatar that is going to fit that profile and come pitch you on a product using the kind of language models based on the way that you speak type and write on the internet it's going to pitch you a product so amazingly that you're going to have no idea that you're being pitched on something and like that level of that freaks me out but only being served ads that are relevant to the shit that i'm into like doesn't freak me out at all i'm honestly really grateful for that i hope that answered your question yeah dude i I think it's really cool with the music lens because it is it's a vibe Mm -hmm. and the algorithm can understand your vibe and the resonance like you talked about because i'm somebody that you know my parents didn't really listen to music i wasn't really exposed to music when i was younger and so i don't know a ton about music or what but I like the energy of music like if you're playing and somebody else is like the DJ I I like good music like I vibe with I love dancing and I love music and so Spotify has changed the game for me like I don't need to go search for songs for hours to find things that I like I can literally start listening and then it's just like feeding me more songs and it allows me to expand into all this different music so I love that lens too and yeah the flip side of that with the 
with where things are going. I mean, that is really quite, quite crazy because they have, like, we're all, like, they know how we tick. And so they, there's, like, all these unconscious bias mm. and ways that they can trigger the psyche to get us to fall for all these different ways. And so I think that's even more important why, like, developing these tools on this path that we're on of, like, finding center and finding stillness and really, you know, I think the real only thing you can do to counter that is get back to the earth and get back to the source of your food and, you know, letting go of like all of that whole system and structure. It's, mm-hmm. it's a really fascinating time that we're moving. Yeah, into. no doubt. And one of the things that I talk about a lot on here is how interesting it is that the advent of AI is running directly parallel to a worldwide psychedelic renaissance. It's like two massively separated polarities in one sense it's like if we play that game right, we might be able to collapse the polarity between them and like learn better ways to integrate machine learning into society and into our own psyches. And particularly like what not to do, as so many people are arguing for right now, is like this regulation shit on AI has to happen like now before the tr- the bad triggers get pulled. Like, you know, da-da-da, like and might help our decision-making process. That's why I'm so grateful that even just over the last couple of years, the taboo nature of psychedelics and what they can be used for and utilized for even apart from PTSD and and you know treatment resistant depression and and medical diseases of that nature medical diseases as termed by the health organizations um like just for creativity and for tapping into those latent aspects of the mind and for developing a better sense of direction and and what should could or shouldn't be done like the fact that that's being like societally and culturally accepted on a much larger scale exponentially larger scale than just a few years ago thanks to incredible institutions like maps and johns hopkins and you know all these places publishing this amazing literature that's undeniable at this point nobody can say well that's drugs no one can say that anymore because the literature's out and Mm -hmm. it's inarguable so you you know that argument died a couple years ago so the fact that that's coming out with like alongside this AI thing is just mind boggling to me. And it just seems, it just seems like a movie script, dude. Like you can't make this shit up that these timings are just right next to each other like this. So it's going to be real. Like you said, it's going to be really interesting to see how this all plays out. And I don't know, man, because you know, I follow AI. And so first, you know, you have like these large language models that that came out like chat GPT, obviously, and it is insane. GPT four just came out recently, uh, at the time that we're recording this. And it is 10,000. I like that you said that because it's literally evolving. Yeah. No, I know, I know, I know. By the time someone watches this, a few months from now, it'll be the next, right. And so the difference in 3.5, which was what everyone was introduced, like on a mass scale, that's what most people first saw of GPT was 3.5. And four is that four is trained on a gazillion more parameters. And it can write in seconds, like really long form content, which means that it can write things like entire movie scripts or entire books, like very quickly so the difference between those two technologies is massive and then now we're also having these voice cloning technologies that are rapidly over the last like two months even like rapidly getting better and expanding and can clone singers voices there's already some lawsuits going on right now uh i just read this morning that somebody some scammer like sold a bunch of fake music made with frank ocean's voice and made a ton of money doing it there's all kinds of so you can clone the president's voice whatever 
So whenever those two technologies merge and you have ChatGPT, you know, speaking in Donald Trump or Joe Biden's voice or whatever, it's just shit is going to get so weird. And then you combine that with video and the deep fakes and like, we're not going to know what's real anymore. And then that's also going to probably serve like, you know, one just example, like in the politicians benefit in some regard, because if they say some shit that ends up killing their ratings, they're just going to be like, well, that was a deep fake. That wasn't, you know, like whatever. These are all like just weird possibilities that click in my brain about this technology. But yeah, I mean, like you said, it's going to be wild. It's wild. Yeah, I think that like, it's fascinating to think how it's all aligning to this, you know, the potentials for this collective awakening that's taking place. And it's, when I think about that and feel into it, it's almost like it's it's literally like infinite realities happening simultaneously. And, and it's even the algorithms, right? Like it's creating these echo chambers where people are getting all fired up and they're communicating with other people that are in alignment with them. And they actually don't know what's going on with this group. And so there's like all these pods mm-hmm. and you get to a point where like you're talking about all this content, we don't know what's real. It's, it's, if you don't have a grounded spiritually mature understanding of self it, it literally the what that could lead to as like a psychological break collectively it's almost as if that may be a piece to this this paradigm that we're shifting to like a collective death rebirth where we get into a state of psychosis because we literally don't know what's real and the only option is to actually unplug get your feet in the dirt and what's real is right here in front of you, like where you're standing and being radically present with that. It's like almost like the technology is going to force us back into that because the other choice is like psychosis. Right. <laughs> exactly. And what you just said makes me think back to your question about the algorithm, because oftentimes on social media, like Instagram, particularly Instagram, Facebook too, but it seems like more prevalent in Instagram is that the algorithm does do exactly that, meaning create echo chambers, because it's only giving you the content of the people who share the notions that you share with. And you know what I'm saying? So that's, that's definitely a, I mean, it's got pros and cons, sure. But it's definitely also a weird thing that in some sense kind of serves to like digitally tribalize people's beliefs or mindsets or, or whatever. Your echo chambers are a dangerous thing, dude. I mean, in some senses, when, when, when the thing that's echoing is, you know, something that you should definitely have a wider viewpoint on, uh, they can, it, I've definitely seen some, some weird echo chambery vibes happening in different Facebook groups and just like social media in general, that is just like kind of wild. And, you know, I think COVID played a huge part in demonstrating that to the world, just how, just how much of real life consequences that those types of dialogues and discourses can have when people are refusing to allow something else into the field at all, at all costs. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. God damn, man fascinating times we're leaving <laughs> I know. and so like that kind of brings me back to to what we were talking about because like it, as, as it pertains to your journey like at some point in your journey it seems like your focus shifted from like you know how far can i push or expand the performance of my body to how far can i expand the performance of my mind and we'll jump back into plant medicine in a little bit but first i saw in an interview where you were talking about your appreciation of meditation largely being focused on mindfulness 
throughout daily life, like rather than some rigid practice of just sitting down to do this thing and letting that be what you think of when you think of meditation. And I vibe really deeply with that, because that's obviously the goal of any meditation practice, ultimately is to bring that level of presence into the rest of your day and the rest of your life. So like, I'd love you to riff for a second on like how meditation originally entered your field and like what what the rewards have been for you and like where that's taken you and what kind of meditations you're into, if any. Yeah, man, meditation is is an important and powerful tool. And I think that's the whole point, right, is is taking the meditation off off the mat and into your everyday life. I mean, if you're able to, like the only way only place you're finding stillness and presence is on your mat, then then you're not really what are you doing it for? You know, you're not doing it to actually make your life better and integrating it into who you are as a as a human being. And it's a process, man. I think, you know, the, the thing I'm sure you hear a lot and I've heard a lot uh, is, you know, I, I don't know, like people say, I don't know if I'm doing it right. I got to sit down and I can't, I can't not think or my mind's crazy. So I don't do it. You know, that's the whole point of it, right? Like you're, you're, you're going to realize how much your mind is uncontrolled and out of whack and these thought loops and it always gets a lot harder before it gets better with meditation. And I'm really grateful because when I started meditating, you know, it was, it was pitched to me as this, 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 this really grounded kind of performance based mindset training and not really a spiritual thing. And then as I started to expand and uh, learn about the CTE stuff and the neural, um, creating more neural pathways and neural connections and understanding meditation is a great way to do that it gave me this extra motivation to continue showing up and doing it even when I didn't want to. And, you know, I, I used when early on, I used like an app, like uh, headspace that really helped because it, it kind of gamified it. Like I wanted to do those streaks and I wanted to sit down and it was, you know, I remember setting my timer when I first started for like five minutes and I would sit there and I would just like, it was, it was counting my breath. Right. So I used my breath to anchor in and I would, it was supposed to count to 10 and then start back at one. And I would find myself often like on 16, 17. And I'm like, holy shit, like, how did I get to 17? Like, I can't even count to 10 without losing mm. track and getting lost in my thoughts. And what I realized about meditation is it's not about clearing the mind. It's about coming back to the present moment. And it's like reps. And so I was taught it's like working out, right? As somebody that's physical as an athlete, you know, the way to grow muscle if I'm doing curls is in the rep of the curls actually tearing the muscles so that it can build. And so if you look at meditation as not uh, uh, trying to reach a certain goal or outcome, but you look at it as every time I recognize that my awareness is out of the present moment and I'm lost in thought just to come back to the breath. And that's the tool. Mm -hmm. That's the practice. And so when you can figure that out as a tool, you get stronger. And so now when I'm in my everyday life, I have a strong awareness of when I'm lost in a thought loop or my mind takes me off something and connecting that with the somatic understanding of my nervous system and how thoughts and emotions are connected. And if I get triggered in my body and then my mind starts running a loop on making sense of why I'm triggered in my body and whether it's anger or sadness or fear, I can recognize the connection because I have an awareness of it. And so it creates this kind of third eye view of the, the witnesser. And then when you have the witnesser, you can actually look at you know, the different aspects of what's happening. And when you have emotional awareness starting to play into that and the ability to, to feel your emotions and go into them and explore them, then you can start working the magic and integrating all this stuff into, okay, these are tools for me to really let go and find stillness and peace in my everyday life. And 
being with what is as well. Like not, it's not about bypassing all the things and reaching these higher levels of awareness and, you know, go, going and sitting on a mountain meditating for eight hours a day. Like that's not the life I want to live. I want to be in this reality and I feel called to be a bridge that, you know, with all the stuff with technology that we're talking about and the potentialities. And I, I love what you said somewhere in there. You said there's a real chance of the way technology is infused with some of these lower vibrational frequencies like greed, power, control. That's when it gets really scary. But you couple in, you know, the psychedelic renaissance and the spiritual maturity that's happening and this evolution and this, this potentiality for collective awakening those technologies, if we infuse them with these higher frequencies of gratitude, of collaboration, of joy, of of creation from a place of abundance, like we can literally, we have the technology to create an age of abundance where everything mundane will be taken care of and everybody should be taken care of. But it's this idea of of artificial scarcity and lack that is, you know, so infused in the the culture and society that we live in. And it's it's a spiritual like feeling it's this Mm -hmm. when we when we're when we're empty inside and we feel like we're lacking something we're going to search for that thing outside outside of ourselves and if we can really connect with that frequency of abundance and then infuse our technologies with that it's that's what i have hope for and it's really really exciting but the potentialities of where we're going now and why these tools are so important why it's so important to find grounded uh centered and presence within yourself is like all this stuff we're talking about because the potentiality is on one one spectrum it's you know, collective awakening, age of abundance, and it's going to be the best time in human history, literally overlaying the kingdom of earth on heaven, which a lot of prophecies talk about in all these different uh, philosophies and religions. But then there's the other side of that, which is the potential of, of driving straight off the cliff and total uh, global destruction. And it could be anything in between. Mm-hmm. It's a holy cow, that's really overwhelming. What can I do? Well, you can learn to breathe, and you can learn to meditate, and you can learn to fight in stillness and get your feet in the dirt. And the really fascinating thing about the magic we were talking about early in the synchronicities, when you do that, you start realizing what what people, what experiences, maybe it's your job, maybe it's the place you live, is throwing you off center. You can start having a, a bigger awareness of that. And when you start finding that stillness, yeah, it might get harder before it gets easier. But if you stick with that, that's when the resonance and the coherence, you'll start attracting people that are of the same wavelength like you talked about. Like, I love that. And when that starts happening holy cow, then you feel supported, then you feel inspired, then you feel like you can really, you know, like really dream into what is possible and feel a lot safer and more grounded through that because you're with a community of people that are really, you know, dreaming the same dream into existence from these higher frequency states. Yeah, exactly. Dude, yes. Yes to all of that. That was, yeah. And I love what you said about meditation Uh as well, because... Uh, I try to stress that too. And I am of the same opinion that being introduced to meditation through an entirely non dogmatic framework is like key for Westerners to like have the motivation and the will to follow through with figuring it out and like, knowing what it is that you're doing. And I really appreciate the framework that the law of one provides about meditation. And it speaks of it very similar to what you were saying, the law of one talks about meditation as essentially learning to disidentify like yourself from the thought forms of the mind in order to be able to like witness the endlessly complex play of the mind and like recognize that you are not your thoughts 
and that instead thoughts or are like phenomena that emerge inside the space of your own present moment awareness and like it says like the mind can be seen the real you cannot be seen for the same reason that the eyeball cannot see itself because the real you is doing the seeing the real you is the seer and like it's really until you enter these spaces of intentional awareness you can live your whole life without realizing that very simple statement to be to be true and so like whenever you you take those those times and you go through that process and and like you do that apart from any spiritual framework or dogmatic way of thinking you're literally utilizing the focusing of your awareness from this spread out fog light of consciousness in our like high stimulus western lives into like a coherent laser beam and you're focusing your awareness onto a single point or object of meditation it doesn't matter what it is it's as if it's a leaf on a tree if it's your breath if it's you're looking at someone else's eyes like whatever you you are witnessing what that awareness even is when you can get it coherently focused on something like what your thoughts actually are and like you said like it doesn't matter what the thing is because all you're doing is going in to understand that you are the witness of of these thoughts playing out and like you said you're not gonna be great at this maybe ever definitely not at first and the point isn't to be great at it the point is to do it it's a workout like you said you just shorten the time as you drift and drift and drift and these thoughts come in as clouds you're like oh fuck i'm supposed to be there okay i'm here all right i'm back and then it's immediately just and you're like oh fuck i'm back okay and like that is the reps I, I like the rep analogy because that's exactly what it feels like is like these mental reps and honestly like the benefits of doing that on a regular basis really can't be articulated in my opinion and i think that's why it's really tough to motivate people to like start doing this up front and because like it's so often attached to like you were saying like buddhism or some kind of framework that's just like and these are all great frameworks but a lot of times it's really difficult for westerners to like kind of initially align with ways of thinking that are so outside of our cultural context to where if we can just explain it like look this is a practice that's going to allow you to understand how your own mind works period like that's it from a psychological perspective, I feel like, and like you said, I, I think I think it probably is a blessing that you were introduced to it that way. I was kind of opposite, but once I found that non-dogmatic way, was like when I really, really started diving deep. And I've been doing um, I've been doing this specific form of meditation lately called TWIM, Tranquil Wisdom Insight Meditation. Have you ever heard of it? No, it's, tell me it's more. really interesting, dude. So like, it's it's actually the only thing ever studied shown clinically to stimulate the brain's dopaminergic and opioid reward systems internally with meaning no external stimulus whatsoever. So you're using your own focused internal awareness to literally release dopamine in the nucleus accumbens in your reward circuitry. This was shown on MRIs with multiple participants who are experienced in this particular form of meditation. It's also called jhana meditation, J-H-A-N-A and uh it's a specific and it's not like some crazy hard weird technique or anything like that but you you do get better at it over time and it goes through these eight phases of consciousness which is like really again when you hear this from like some kind of dogmatic framework you're like oh sure it goes through eight phases well they put these people in these mris who are experienced jhana meditators this is what got me into it after reading this published paper because so i was like holy shit that's fucking wild so 
And each time he would say, okay, I'm going to switch to the next jhana, because you do this at will, you you start at the first jhana, again, it's like phases of consciousness, the eighth being the highest, which is like non-dual awareness, which is like all mental chatter shuts off, da da da. And you experience non-duality, like similar to the five MEO DMT experience. And, uh, mm. and, and so when I was reading the paper initially, I was like, no way, because the the participant in the MRI would say, okay, I'm going to switch to the next jhana or whatever. And they would distinctly see changes in the MRI readings as he was doing these things. And anyway, so like the part, the point of this meditation is to help rewire your dopamine neurocircuitry and your reward circuitry. Um, because and, and the guy who I learned this from talks about dopamine as like um, an agitation molecule. And I think all of us, not all of us, I can't say that, but very many of us here in, in the West and in America in particular have dopaminergic dysfunction for one reason or the other, whether it's a phone addiction or this kind of addiction or something, we tend to seek dopaminergic release in our brains probably far too often and in ways that sometimes are not healthy, obviously. So it's like if you can quell that itch and the guy Liam who I learned this from is like, uh, you know, viewing dopamine as, a, as an agitation molecule, he's like, well, is it not better to not itch in the first place than to constantly feel like you have to scratch an itch to get that moment of relief? And it's like, I really, I really mm. love that analogy, because it was like, okay, because when you can view, and you know, a lot of other places kind of talk about the polarity between dopamine and serotonin as dopamine, being associated more with immediate gratification and that monkey in our brains and serotonin being associated more with like true long term fulfillment. And, you know, it's no, it's no kawinky dink that most drugs of abuse, hard drugs, whether it's meth or cocaine or whatever, uh, even opiates, hard, like really affect the dopaminergic system. And most psychedelics are serotonergic in nature, almost exclusively. Um, you know, there are a few exceptions to that mm -hmm. certain psychedelics that operate on different receptor systems like salvia and stuff like that. But when we're talking about things like mescaline and ayahuasca and psilocybin, these are all serotonergic substances. So it's like, I found that really interesting. And anyway, so I started doing this meditation and it's really interesting. So you kind of have this, um, your object of meditation is joy. So you think internally only and you have your eyes closed for this whole process of an, a, a sight or something that brings you joy, whether it's like if you have a kid, they say like, use your baby's face, like visualize your baby's face. If you have a puppy, like use a puppy. If you have this crazy moment in your life, like the day you got drafted into the NFL, you're going to keep that on your mind. Like if that's like, you know, that pinnacle moment, like, and, and, uh, and, you use this process called the six R's as a means of returning to it over and over. And when you get good at this, you start feeling yourself cause this dopaminergic response. And by the time you get to the third jhana, your body literally floods with dopamine and you literally feel this crazy physical pleasure sensation. And so when I was reading about that, like super yeah, euphoric. yeah. And I was like, man, am I going to be able to do this, though? Like, you know, because like, you know, they're saying like, these are experienced da, 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 in this meditation, this particular meditation, these people who are in these MRIs are very experienced. And I'll be damned if I didn't get it on like the second or third try, dude. And I've been doing it daily since then. And uh, it's really, really an interesting form of meditation for anybody who's listening and has been um, you know, wanting to, I recommend watching, watching a it's T W I M. Uh, you can also get it on the fit mind app, which in my opinion, I've tried a bunch of meditation apps and fit mind is my absolute favorite for, um, for like a non dogmatic, non spiritual, 
highly detailed and instructional audio uh, guided meditations uh, that are also attached to lessons where Liam explains to you like why you're doing a certain technique, what it does as it pertains only to understanding how your mind works. Like this is not spiritual in nature. Obviously, you guys who are watching Mm. this know I'm all about that spiritual jazz. But for this particular thing, this is, you know, I think it's more constructive to approach it from this lens. But uh, but yeah, anyway, I I wanted to share that. Super grounded. Yeah. It's TWIM. T-W-I-M? Yeah, yeah, it stands for Tranquil Wisdom Insight. I'm gonna check that. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna check that. Yeah, man. And I think the 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 dog with the itch thing was really powerful because mm-hmm. if you're just it, if you're trying to not itch the itch, then that's taking energy and willpower to not do that. And if you're you're wasting energy on the trying to be abstinent from whatever your thing is, then you're actually not having enough energy, which depletes your willpower, which will show up in other ways of your life. And so just getting to the root of letting that go fully mm-hmm. by being able to access that, I'm giving that a try. Nice. For Hell sure. yeah, dude. Yeah, you you, you Thanks, won't regret bro. it. Yeah, no doubt. And I've noticed a difference in myself uh, already. And man, it's just, it's, it's, it's borderline sad, but it's also inevitable or was inevitable with the advent of technology and social media to like, think about how dysregulated our dopamine functioning actually is. And as you can see, it's getting worse and worse as short form content becomes bigger and bigger, because dopamine is is directly tied to attention span. So like, it's only going to get further dysregulated, the shorter and shorter and shorter these platforms create things and and you know mechanisms of keeping our attention wired for, for very strongly for a short period of time and so you know and then you know there's tons of other things that that fuck with our dopamine systems obviously and technology is a big one of those things and anyone who hasn't seen the social dilemma or if you have seen it then you know what i'm talking about as it pertains to that and it's just that's another one of those things that are gonna that's gonna get really interesting as it pertains to the whole parallel, you know, advent of the psychedelic renaissance versus the AI and the algorithms. And it's like, well, because dude, the reality is like, there's a whole generation of children right now who have far worse dopaminergic function than we did when they were their age. And it's the direct result of the technology that they have in their hands. When I was in high school, luckily, I didn't have an iPhone. That happened like right after I got Mm -hmm. out. So I couldn't imagine like, being 13 or something and having access to everything that these kids are just like, it's part of their life now. Like they couldn't go without it or they think, or they believe that they couldn't go without it, you know? So it's like, it's going to be interesting to see how that's, how that's healed or dealt with over time. Yeah. It's, I mean, even us, I mean, I struggle with it and I'm a very grounded, connected practice and meditation and very, done all the things and I feel like I'm very centered and I still struggle with looking at my phone far too often and getting drawn in and yeah to be a fucking 12 13 year old with no grounded sense of self at all to be lost in that it's it's a very frightening and sad thing and I don't know how you how you turn that back I mean I've heard them talking about the the AI thing like we're still in a place where we we can we can we can stop it before it gets into a place like social media, like social media, we can't turn off. It's literally ingrained in the very fabric of our society and culture. If we all of a sudden shut social media off somehow miraculously, like that would lead to total anarchy and chaos because people's livelihood is literally like built on top of these platforms Mm -hmm. and it's too late, but it's not too late for the potentials of what AI could be. And I think we're in a very, fascinating even few months like it's not like oh we have a couple years like the few months because they're starting to roll this stuff out and they're rolling it out because this uber capitalism competition if one company is like okay we'll stop because we see the dangers but what 
that's going to give this other company a chance to get ahead of us. And so it's interesting to think, even if they do come together, it's going to be have to be from this place of like humanity. And maybe that's the thing that brings us all together is this common, it doesn't need to be an enemy, but this common concern around the potentialities of this thing and what it could do to the entire human race. Maybe that's what ends war and creates this time of peace of, hey, we need to come together and actually make a decision collectively that this is something we need to really tread lightly with. And it's still up for debate on whether that happens right. or not. And I think that one of the main the main the main things to look out for there is, you know, obviously everybody with with a properly dialed moral compass wants what you just said to be the way out of whatever this status quo is that we want to call it. But it's like the thing I always go to and it's just like and I'm not trying to sound discouraged here, but it's like the people who are in power historically will do whatever it takes to stay in power. So it's like, it's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out, though, because now that we're living and moving into the age of information, where everything is inherently connected in a way that these institutions most of the way can't really censor to the degree that they would probably like to, is <clears throat> like we are planting the seed for the ability for the public to and societies at large to like outnumber and and not be shunned of, of information or you know squeezed of information and i mean just think about it do like 30 years ago ish like if you wanted to learn something about something like you had to go to the library and get a book and check up like find the book hopefully that's on your time like that's a totally different existence than we have now and a lot of the same yeah, we can't even I comprehend what that's i like. know like i still remember when when my mom when i was a kid would like have to like use a map to get around and then it went from that dude my mom was so stoked when MapQuest came out and instead of using a map you could just print out a bunch of pages that told you turn for turn like where to go and that was like the greatest thing that ever happened because she doesn't have to look at a map anymore and just like the way just yeah, seeing how shit's evolved since then but it's like I think that it empowers people a lot so you know and I, and I think that those seeds, though, those seeds of like societal empowerment are still very much getting planted right now. Like we can't really like reap the like the, the benefits of that just yet. But it feels like we're getting closer and you can look at the world governments and see that they're struggling to maintain the status quo. The Federal Reserve is struggling to maintain the illusion of the strength of a dollar. Like everything is is beginning. The facade is getting clearer and clearer and more and more see through. But but I don't think that's like an overnight thing. That's it feels like it's going to be a slow burn to like really see the bend, like the the effects and the consequences of people waking up on a large collective scale. But it's going to be interesting, dude. Yeah, I think it's interesting what you just talked about with the. Uh, I, I think it's it on one level it's going to feel like it's taking time, but on another level it's going to feel like it happens like that because you think about the the map quest thing and and going to the library and book. I mean that was. 30 years ago. I mean, there's people that are alive now that lived before the internet and now we're living with AI and how fast that happened. So yes, it's going to feel like day to day, like, okay, but there's going to come a time when there's this like flood of awareness and awakening. It could happen like in the snap of a finger as well. So I think it's going to feel a little bit faster than, than that. And it's already happening. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool to like, you know, I, I like launched the the Heart Collective, and there's these people, all these applications coming in, and these people that are really answering the call because I put this real amazing hero video out that was really well produced, and it's just triggering this this real emotional connection to where we're at and the paradigm shift we're moving through, and it's been really cool to see, 
you know, there's people that are on the path, but there's people that are like just curious and they're like, I just know there's something more out there. And it's really encouraging to see people from all walks of life, like fit for service, right? Like it's such a diverse group of people. There's it's what connects us all is that resonance mm-hmm. and that frequency and that wavelength, like you talked about. And that's what connects all of us as humanity is the frequency that we're embodying. And so if we keep holding that frequency as individuals, there's not really anything we have to do. It's how we be. And it's that frequency of holding that. And that literally can bring people around you into coherence mm-hmm. and resonance. And the more people that do that, it's like, little like tuning forks all over the world and then you know the frequency just comes into resonance all of a sudden it's it's gonna be it's like what a journey we we really are living in like the most interesting time and particularly our generation another thing i talk about all the time is like how we're like probably the last generation that remember is going to remember what it likes you know like pre pre iphone and pre ipad and then like having to come inside when the street lights come on and playing two-hand touch in the street and like i don't even see that going on anymore but like it's really cool because we are going to be the generation that like like we think of our parents or whatever as like pre-internet and internet they got to live through that but we're going to be like pre-ai post AI and that one's going to probably be orders of magnitude more of a paradigm shift even though the internet was such a shift but this is this this is the notion of the singularity that Terence McKenna used to always talk about which is like world changing paradigm altering technological advancements the time between them getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until boom you hit the singularity where it's like every day every minute whatever you're 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 coming across like a world altering advancement of some sort. And that is precisely what machine learning is opening the door for that maybe, you know, maybe humanity, just because of the nature of of how our minds operate and our analysis, like do something, analyze the results, make changes, do something, analyze the results. This can all be done in seconds or less by these machine learning algorithms. So it's like they can just test their own theories like this in a spinning wheel. It doesn't stop. And so it's like the the notion of, of that singularity is becoming more and more real in my mind, because it's like as I read more and more about how these machine learning algorithms work as it pertains to these like advancements and studying of ecosystems and like da 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 all these different things, manufacturing processes, all all this shit. It's like, holy shit, like where is this going? I know we keep circling back to that, but it really is such a wild thing to just be able to live through and witness and then just like eat some mushrooms and think about it and be like, man, you know, <laughs> just really which uh also because uh i know i know we don't have too too much time left like i wanted to dive in a little bit to your plant medicine experience and it's interesting how the process of like the mind developing is equally a process of unlearning like just as much as it is one of learning and unlearning associations and habits and patterns and obviously at some point you must have felt the desire for this and uh i'm just curious like what was the catalyst that made you initially say to yourself like okay i'm uh i'm gonna go experience a plant plant medicine ceremony and what was your first one and well before you before you answer that were you before you left the league were you experienced with plant medicines or psychedelics or no i did my first mdma experience socially uh with my girlfriend at the time um my sixth year in the league and then my seventh year is when i did Uh, mushrooms and LSD for the first time and then I retired my eighth year so I was definitely socially experiencing them I I hadn't been um, really connected to the ritual process or the ceremonies or the indigenous like sacred plant medicines that I was was really called to and 
you know, the first time I heard about ayahuasca was actually one of my teammates. He was telling me about his dad went down. This is like years before, like maybe decades before he went down to Peru and he had, he was an alcoholic and he came back and never touched alcohol again after this experience. And so I thought that was very fascinating, but there's all these stories like, and this, you know, underlying fear of like, what is these experiences like? And then I started listening to Aubrey talk about it and like seeing these freaking dragons and all like all these different like visual things. I'm like, holy cow, like that's absolutely insane. And there was this, this, this calling, you know, like I, I, like I don't know any other way to put it. It was the synchronicities of, you know, like I shared, I was in Tampa and this, this girl I was connecting with, she was like, you know, you want to go with me? And I felt into him like, yeah, yeah, I do. I want to experience this. And, you know, the first time it was in Saltara, actually in 2019. And the first time I experienced it, I, I really had a lot of trouble connecting with the medicine. Like they do four ceremonies over a week span. And it wasn't until the final ceremony when I finally had just a glimpse of connection to the medicine and this, this real deep altered state. But what I realized through that experience was that this medicine is working on such a deep subconscious level because that although I didn't have all the visions that like Aubrey talks about and what I realize now after working with a lot of plant medicines is I, I'm, I'm not a very visual person in those spaces and and that's okay I'm, but I'm very somatic and I would have very somatic healings and like a lot of energy moving through my body and and since I've worked with quite a bit of plant medicines and I've had uh, some of those visual experiences but it's it's not it's like a rare occasion for me in those spaces and you know for me I think that one of the big intentions, because naturally when I walked away from football, uh, the big question is, is not only who am I, but, but what am I here to do? What's my purpose? And so I was using these spaces, but really seeking answers. I wanted to know. And that coupled with this desire to seek the truth of, of what creation is, what, what God is. And, you know, I grew up in this Christian faith, like I've alluded to before, and created a lot of resistance to to that dogmatic fear-based uh, belief system. But I always had this, this intuition, this knowing like there, the creation, there's something greater than myself. Like, what is it? And so I, and what I, I went on this path of really seeking and I kept going back to ayahuasca with this intention of like, show me like what I'm here to do. Show me what I'm here to do. Like, what's my purpose? And I think it was my 11th ceremony. It was actually that, um, that retreat with Aubrey and Vailana and, you know, I went to that retreat and I didn't go with strong intentions. You know, Aubrey put it out and I was like, oh, this is a great chance to connect with Aubrey and, you know, be in ceremony with them. And like, that was something that really was, you know, one of my main reasons for going. And, you know, I just wanted to connect with this guy on a, on a real way. And like you said, it's, it's hard to get in that space with him. And so going there, the first ceremony I went in, um, I had one of the most frightening experiences of my life. And as I've worked with ayahuasca, I realized I, I really metabolize it very slow. And so every experience before that, I would drink, you know, a few cups of medicine and I wouldn't have my experience until after the ceremony was closed. And then I would go into like a really deep experience, usually after I ate some food, because then it would start metabolizing. And so as I developed a relationship with the medicine, I would, um, I'd bring a little banana in with me. And so I would drink medicine and then like 30 minutes into the ceremony, I would just eat a little bit of banana and then the medicine would, would be able to hit me during the, the ceremony. But when I went into that first ceremony, I was, I was talking to the shamans and they're like, anybody have anything? I'm like, hey, like, I've worked with the medicine enough to know that it hits me really slow. Can I, uh, like, is there anything you can do for that? And they like kind of laughed they're like, oh, you're a big guy. We'll just give you twice as much. And I'm like, okay. And I went in there. This is a funny story. I walk into the Maloka and I sit down 
and um, you know, hoping that I'm, I'm one of the first people to go. And the shaman, when they open ceremony, walks to the person to my right, and then they oh, go shit. all the way around the other way. And so, you know, that takes a while. So it's like 45 minutes into ceremony, and then they gave me twice as much. And so, literally, like six hours into ceremony, they close ceremony, and I'm like walking back to my room, and it just all the medicine just like boom, hits me, and I'm like, oh shit, like I'm about to go into this experience. So I go into my room, and I'm by myself. I lock the door, and I go into this one of the most frightening experiences of my life where I was really experiencing this, this loss of sense of self. And I would kept getting blasted off into this, this primordial void. And in that process, you know, I'd come back into my body and I'd be like, okay, like, like I'm here in this room, like this will pass, like I'm getting through it. And then boom, I would get blasted off again. And it got to a point where I would be back in my body and I didn't like remember who I was. Like, I was just like, why am I here? Like, who am I? And in that process, when I was in that, that primordial void, it was, it was like a dream state. And every single thought form that would come out of my mind, it would start creating entire realities around me. And it was really fascinating. But it would like, as I would go deeper into these journeys of these different realities, I would, I would start losing the anchor back to myself. And that's why I would come back into my body because I'm like, okay, whoa, like I'm here. And then I would go back in. And when I was in that process, it was really profound because I had this experience. I asked myself a question like, why am I here? And I realized I'm here because I want to know the answer of, of, of the secrets of the universe. And I, I want to know what my purpose is. And what I realized in that moment that I very experienced very viscerally, obviously, is I'm the creator of worlds. And I was literally creating with my thoughts, entire realities around me. And in that moment, I realized, oh, I am infinite potential. Mm. I'm experiencing it right now. I am the creative life force that creates worlds. And when I came back into my body the next morning, it was the it was the first time out of all my plant medicine, because I'm a strong like warrior, dude. Like I, I can go in deep. I'm a psychonaut. I can explore these realms. That was the first time I had to go talk to the, you know, one of the facilitators. Like, I need to, I need some support in integrating this. Like this was really intense. And through that process, it, it really taught me a lot about the having a lot of reverence for these these medicines and how powerful they are. And not to just go use them to seek and explore and chase something and try to get an answer. All of that lives within me. And so now I don't go to these experiences seeking for something to fill a void within myself because I've realized that I have all the tools within me. I, I now really sit with the calling of why I'm being called into a certain experience and what I'm being called to learn. And I see these plants as powerful allies and powerful teachers, and they have so much wisdom to share. And so I'm not, I'm not seeking like my energy shifted big time from like, wanting to go to all these experiences so that I can have the experience. And part of my ego wants to share like the cool, like experience that I had to make me feel like, you know, whatever it is. Now I have a, such a deep reverence for them and I'm not seeking them. And it's been really beautiful because I have been called back to ayahuasca. I have been called to work with Wachuma. I don't do, you know, mushrooms as much. I, I use them in, in microdosing settings, but it's really when I'm, when I'm called to learn and these things are ready to teach me something um, that I'm that I'm called back, uh, but my, my I'm really grateful that I'm a lot more grounded in that because I had to go through that experience of really chasing uh, these altered states to realize like everything I need is right here, right mm -hmm. now, and this is why I'm here. Um, yeah, yeah. It's one of the most interesting things about ayahuasca in particular, too, that I find is it is it is a very self-regulating thing. When you when you get off off track, like you're like you're saying in 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 your why, it shows you and gets you back on real quick. You don't have to do anything. It it, it does that for you. So, what uh, 
what is kind of your biggest transformations in the day to day life and everything since you, you know, as a result of these journeys, like what have you been able to, if you could, you know, obviously, a lot of times these things aren't articulatable, but if you could condense it into a couple of nuggets or bullet points, what would you say that they've they've done for you? Man, it's there's so much to explore there. We could probably do a three hour podcast <laughs> and all the different lessons and journeys. But I feel called to share my most recent, you know, journey down to Peru uh, with Jason and Megan, and and we we worked with one of of Jason's uh, teachers and medicine carriers down there, which was really beautiful. It was the first time I went down to like the motherland and connected with the spirit of. We worked with Wachuma, and you know that's where the cactus is from, and. You know, just as soon as I got there, like just connecting with the spirits of the land and the, and the, the frequency of those mountains and, you know, working with that medicine. And that was, you know, all the plant medicine I've done and all the different ceremonies, that was a, a, the really one of the only ones I had a very clear why and knowing why I was going down there. And it was revolved around this, this fear of rejection that I was uncovering. And what I realized is I've, I've lived with this deep-seated root that all of my real trauma and experience of life was was laid on top of and it was this fear of rejection mm -hmm. and it's coupled because of you know the religious upbringing i had i felt unworthy of god's love so i felt rejected by him and that was reflected through my parents and their belief around who god is and what what it's like to be a good person and so you know there's this uh, this concept of, of the golden shadow, you know, a lot of people in the space talk about shadow work, and it's like the darker, darker aspects of self that you feel shame around unworthy. But there's this idea of the golden shadow, where the best aspects of who you are can also be in, in the shadow. And so realizing I have this big heart, I have so much to give, I have a lot of strength and power, and a lot of purpose to bring that to the world. But all of that, what I realized was in my shadow because I was rejecting it mm. because I didn't, I had this fear of being rejected by others. And I had this experience with my dad, like a month before I went down to this trip and I was basically going, asking him for some support in certain ways. And he basically told me, like, he basically rejected me. And I sat with that and it was like, it brought up all this anger and rage. And what I realized is, holy cow, I have had this fear of rejection my whole life because I want my parents to accept me, love me, see me and just just know me for who I am. And they just they decide not to out of their own fear and out of their own stories and their own unwillingness to know themselves. But what that done is because I have such a fear of reject being rejected by them, that I was rejecting that part of myself. And so I went down to to Peru to really work on that fear of rejection. And the beautiful like Wachuma is so subtle and it's so beautiful and it held me and allowed me to feel safe enough to access all of this grief that I was feeling around this rejection wound. And I, I really, you know, this psychological process of the projection of who I needed my parents to be, I knew I had to let them die. And that was akin to a very real experience of what would it be like if they actually died. And so I went to this, went to this experience and, and the medicine helped me grieve the loss of my parents and in a very visceral, real way. And in that process, I was able to access this profound freedom for the first time, you know, a deeper level of freedom. And I remember I had this moment when I was, I was up in this, it's it called uh, Puma Lake. It's this very sacred lake on the top of this mountain that we hiked up and it was just such a pilgrimage. And I had this moment where I, I grabbed this rock and I spoke into it all of the fear, all the scarcity, all the doubt, all the worry. I, I spoke into it, all the energy of my parents, and I felt really called to, to like really speak all the things I wanted to let go of into this rock, and I threw it into the lake. 
And as soon as the, the rock hit the lake, I just broke down and just started grieving and wailing and just letting all this energy go. And after that process was complete, I was walking back to, to the group and I literally felt for the first time what, what real abundance is. I could feel every fabric of reality, like the grass, the rocks, the clouds, the air, the birds, the animals, everything in my life, how much it actually loved me, how much it wanted me to succeed, how much it wanted me to be successful and embodied and, and reaching for my highest potential. Like everything in the universe in that moment was like, we love you to the depths of all of it. And we want to support you. And I was like, this is what abundance is. This is so powerful. And, you know, going through that experience was one of the most profound experiences of my life. And, you know, coming back from that, you know, the real work comes online of like, how do I integrate this? And for a few weeks, I was oscillating between deep scarcity, and then like letting it go in deep expansion. And as I was oscillating, it was very intense, because I could feel the depth of the scarcity that I was still holding on to, and then let it go and then be able to expand. And so I've been able to like create spaciousness and like lean on that experience. And it's not like it just was, I was relieved of it. Mm -hmm. I had to work on it and integrate it. And I'm still very much in that process of trusting and having faith and really, really learning to create more sacred space in my life and more ritual to connect with the love that I know this life has for me. And when I am in a state of scarcity, it's because I am pushing that away and refusing that support from the universe and from the frequencies around me. Dude. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Those those really thorough shares of that entire process, people really find them useful when we when we speak them out and share them. I get messages all the time. I had a very similar similar theme last year with my ayahuasca. It's uh, revolving around that self acceptance and self love and and dealing with uh, you know that fear of rejection, kind of like you were talking about, and it's really a process of realizing that you're your own worst enemy with these with these distorted beliefs that we choose to hold that are really just responses to things that happened earlier in life. And like these medicines are so powerful at showing you that in a way that it is entirely undeniable, and in a way that gives you doesn't do it for you, but it shows you the action steps that you would have to take in order to relieve yourself of these distortions. And people really, really enjoy hearing, I really still enjoy hearing stories exactly like what you just told. And also shout out Jason and Megan holding it down in the swamp, two mm. of the most amazing human beings I know. I'm so honored to call them friends. And uh, yeah, man, that was that was a solid share. I'm glad that you're, you're first watching and you were drinking that Peruvian cactus, huh? The high altitude yeah dude so so yeah, yeah that's a totally different thing yeah man yeah, yeah man i'm so grateful i got to go down there and it's my first like i've drinking ayahuasca in costa rica i've done some stuff locally in the states but to go mm -hmm. down to peru there's it's just the, the energy of the lineage yeah. and the spirits of the land is there's something so potent and special yeah, about it no doubt so Man, this has been an incredible conversation. Before we start bringing this home, I wanted to give you the floor to like tell people a little bit about Heart Collective and what it is that you're putting together and what your whys are. And, you know, I checked out the website. It looks like a really awesome offering. And uh, yeah, just if you want to dive into that for a bit. Yeah, thanks, brother. I really appreciate it. You know, I think the power of community, you know, from, from experiences like fit for service and, and all the ceremonies and, and different healing experiences, all the group work, men's work, yoga summits, like all of these things I experienced have had a profound impact in my life. And, and really the community that is formed around it is, is I believe 
what everybody is really missing and everybody is really thirsty for. And I truly believe with all the things we talked about, like how do we navigate this great shift and transition? I truly believe community is the currency of the future. As systems collapse and things shift, you know, the power of the dollar goes like literally, we don't know what that's going to be like. And so if you can find community and stay connected to that, you can really navigate these, these transitional times with a lot more space and safety and, and freedom. And so out of all the experiences I've done, one of the most powerful has been this river rafting expedition. Um, I went on this river trip like three years in 2020, three years ago, and it was kind of deeper in my journey. And and I had such a profound experience and it was just a normal whitewater rafting multi-day trip. And I was like, holy cow, I had this vision when I was out there. I was like, if I could bring and do some more retreat programming and facilitated sacred space out on this river, like this is, this could, has the potential to be a profoundly healing experience for people completely sober. And so I facilitated two of those the last two years. I actually, the, the founder of that company was on that trip with me and I shared the vision with him and he ended up partnering with me. And so he handles the the expedition side. I handle the the community and retreat side. And so this year, after you know, kind of alchemizing all this lesson and all this work I've done over the last couple of years, uh, I'm launching this community. And this community is is really focused on serving high impact leaders, entrepreneurs, and influential visionaries, people who are actually have the ability and the desire to use their 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 creations, their business, their leadership to facilitate and integrate all of this energy like we're talking about into culture, not just, hey, we're going to go meditate, or we're going to go have a spiritual community over here. It's I'm calling in the, the people who feel like they're bridges so that we can integrate this energy into our society and culture and the people that have the ability to do that. And using, you know, one of the things I found is you can't build community just because you want to build community, you can't just bring a group of people together, sit them in a room and expect them to, to drop in and form those bonds. You have to go through some type of experiential process, some type of rite mm-hmm. of passage. And that was what was so powerful about Fit for Service is we went through these, these different experiences, a wide variety of them. But what they did is they stripped away the ideas of who we thought we needed to be or who we thought we are and got to the point of can we vulnerably share ourselves and, and, and have the courage to be seen and held and felt within community. And that's what created this, this energy, this magnetism, this frequency. And so in order to facilitate those unbreakable bonds of community, I'm using these whitewater rafting expeditions uh, to create the foundation for that. And one of the things that I'm really excited about is this is not just a, a, a year-long transformational experience. You know, one of the things that, you know, how much I love Fit for Service, one of the things I really think they're, they missed the mark on is, is really keeping the community together as a business ongoing and being able to leverage the power of a community for greater initiatives. So part of the intention of this community is not just, hey, come and have an experience and, and, and you know, find family. It's like, okay, we go through this first year, we build the nucleus. How do we leverage the energy of this and the power of this community for greater initiatives in the world? So I have visions of integrating some Web3 technology, some shared community treasury, some, you know, being able to invest in the community and then using those shared resources to invest in other initiatives, invest in other projects, invest in other businesses, so that as a, as a collective, we can really start facilitating greater impact together uh, in the world. And so that's all coming together. It's the Heart Collective. We're, I don't know when this podcast is going to go live, but we're accepting applications through probably mid-June. We have two whitewater rafting expeditions this summer, one in June, one in August. So you'll go to that. And then we have a big summit in January where we'll bring the whole community together and do some more connection-type experiences. Uh, and it's coming together really nicely. We have had over 100 applicants, some really dope humans coming together. And I'm just super grateful to be 
called to to facilitate and to steward this vision that's coming through and i feel like it's so much bigger than me and being able to to trust and and see how it's unfolding is has been the greatest gift of my entire life hell yeah dude that all sounds amazing and uh man yes i'm stoked to see how that unfolds for you too bro well joe this has been an awesome conversation dude thank you so much for coming on i really i really really enjoyed this conversation and you guys everybody listening check out the heart collective listen to joe's podcast life beyond the game and uh yeah if there's anything else that you want to direct people to before we bring this thing home let's do it yeah bro i appreciate you um just really grateful for the conversation man grateful for for you and stoked that we've finally connected and and excited to to co-create and collaborate moving into the future and you know that's what it's all about is us coming together and really shining bright and and bringing more and more people together and uh i know you're you're on that path as well man so uh, excited to see where this connection goes and if there's anything i can do to support you uh, excited likewise brother thank you so much for doing this thank you everybody for listening and we'll see y'all soon